This is a special edition of the RTI Press Pass, powered by Rocky Top Insider. Here are your hosts, Rick Butler and Ryan Shumpert. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. My name is Rick Butler. Joined to my right, that is Ryan Shumpert. Today is Friday, January 12th, 1.04 p.m. Ryan is back in town from Starkville traveling with the Tennessee basketball team. Both of us will be in Athens tomorrow, Saturday, for Tennessee's third SEC game against Georgia coming up at noon Eastern time. But until then, hanging out here, hanging out actually in the Tennessee basketball arena where we were Watching practice, got some press conference stuff going on, so we are here in Knoxville for that right now. But we've kind of traveled down to the bowels of the arena to do this podcast, one of our frequent spots, especially when something's going on right here. But Ryan, good afternoon, my friend. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, and uh, we have a little bit of competition down in the bowels of the arenas today. We do, we do. Tennessee baseball is doing their media day shoot and stuff not too far from us, so... Uh, hopefully we'll be able to, to keep the noise down to a minimum, but uh, all good over here. Yeah, if you ha- if, if you maybe hear any, I, I have no idea, but if you maybe hear any trickles of sound in the background or music especially, uh, it's not coming from Ryan's phone. He is dedicated to the podcast today. It is that, that you know, video and photo shoot that's going on just on the other side of the door. So hopefully all will be good, but also we got a little bit of a quicker podcast due today. Not too much happening right now. Obviously, we want to talk a lot about Tennessee basketball moving into SEC play. The Vols dominated uh, Ole Miss last Saturday night in the SEC opener, but then fell in a close contest, a close second half contest, if you will, to Mississippi State this past week on Wednesday night. So we'll preview uh, Tennessee's game against Georgia that's coming up this Saturday. But we've also got some football news to get into. Not only Tennessee football news, but just conference football news. Maybe we just go ahead and start right there and get out our initial thoughts. Uh, Ryan, the big news of the college football world right now, and I would say the football world, but I think somebody in the NFL is sort of taking over those headlines. But in the college football world, at least, Nick Saban officially retires. ESPN's Chris Lowe had the first report, and it went Bonkers. I mean, I think within the first 30 minutes of it being up on Twitter, it had five, six, seven, eight million views. All the world was talking about it. Uh, but what were your initial thoughts and maybe how have that changed here in the two days since? Uh, my initial thoughts was just shock. And, you know, even going back to your point, I would say it's still the news of the football world. Because, I mean, Bill Belichick, we knew. The writing was on the wall for months that he wasn't sure, going to come point. back to New England. And I don't think his coaching career is over either. So, um, no, I mean, it's one of those things I compared it to uh, – you know, when LeBron James will finally retire of just something that you knew was going to happen at some point and you knew was, you know, you were getting towards the end. You were getting closer to the end. You know, he's 70, 72 years old. He can only do it so much longer, but it, it just still felt shocking and, and absolutely crazy that the day's finally come. Nick Saban's no longer the Alabama football coach, and uh, obviously uh, everybody in the rest of the SEC rejoices that they'll no longer <laughs> have to face him, and, and certainly Tennessee – Felt uh, the wrath of that as much as anybody. Uh, he ends his tenure at Alabama 16-1 and against the Vols. I'm sure everybody in Tennessee is lucky they got that, or not lucky, very happy, very excited they did get that one win to avoid uh, being 0-17 against him in his tenure at Alabama. But it's a day that uh, news that will will feel the ramifications for, for, for years to come. Uh, and it feels like it just kind of changes the whole college football landscape as we head into a year where the whole college football landscape and everything about college football will change pretty radically. Yeah, so two thoughts on that. Number one, I think you tweeted it out, so I'll give you credit there. You had a great way to describe it, and it was my exact thought as well. Just that's a you-remember-where-you-were type of yeah. moment, right? I will remember I was 
in my bedroom getting ready to leave to go somewhere when somebody had told me the news. I don't know where you were or what you were doing, but it is one of those moments where I think you're going to remember where you were. And a lot of that because of what you're talking about right there, just because of how shocking it was. And obviously, I think you can look back in hindsight and you can put some of the pieces together. But I don't know if, any, I don't know if anybody was standing atop the hill screaming, Nick Saban's about to retire, Nick Saban's about to retire. It just kind of came out and everybody was left to um, – to react to it. The only other thing I have about it, though, is that it's funny. Just after the news broke, so on Wednesday night, actually, after the Tennessee basketball game, I did a late-night podcast recording uh, with a couple of guys from Ohio. So they were asking me, you know, from a Tennessee perspective, just knowing the Tennessee fan base, like, you know, how does the Tennessee fan base feel about him? Do Do they recognize his dominance? And I was like, okay, but you're asking two different questions there. Yeah. Do they, do they, you know, what do they think about Alabama? I think I wrote it down in an article. The, re- the exact reverse of the garbage truck workers convention video, right? Like there is, there's no love lost between Tennessee and Alabama, obviously. But I think that Tennessee fans absolutely understand the respect. And frankly, when you lose 16 out of 17 matchups, like the team that's being dominated is going to understand the other team's dominance, yeah. maybe better than anybody else, right? So I do think that, you know, if you're asking Tennessee fans, they say, hey, look, We've seen this guy coach in incredible ways. We've seen it in our own conference. Uh, we've seen it dominate this league for, for so long that, yes, we, we fully understand and recognize the greatness. But either way, no love lost between. You actually drove through Tuscaloosa, both going to and from, from Mississippi State. You saw the big – it looked like a memorial. Yeah, it, <laughs> it looked like a tribute that was going on at the Nick Saban statue in Tuscaloosa. No, 100%. And you know where I was was about 30 minutes from Tuscaloosa on the way to Starkville. Um, on the the far side of Tuscaloosa, I guess that'd be west. So yeah, no, it, it is crazy, and certainly I think you said it well. With everybody, you know, everybody respects the dominance and knows how dominance had been. And you know, from my standpoint, obviously, I'm I think like everybody, I'm glad that Nick Saban's gone. But you know, I always, I mean, not always, but in, in recent years, at least, I've come to you know have a great respect for Nick Saban and genuinely like him as a as a coach and. I don't know a person, I don't know him, and, and people probably won't like, like that opinion, so I'll shut up about it uh, and won't go into it too much more. But, no, it is a crazy moment, and, again, one that never felt like it was going to come, and now it kind of turns to who Alabama can find to replace him. Yeah, and I think that's the big question going on, going on right now. Dan Lanning came out nearly immediately after the, after the news – well, the next day, I should say. He came out with a basically a, den- a public denial to the Alabama job, but he also turned that into a recruiting pitch with a video – I got to give it up to him. I yeah, thought that smart. was one of the most brilliant moves I, I've seen in a long time. Talking about loyalty and talking about how hey, uh, other coaches are going to leave, other t- other coaches are going to go places. We're not here at Oregon. I thought that was a good one. And then I believe Mike Norvell has also put out a tweet here on Friday saying, "Hey, I'm 100% locked in." I actually think he got a new deal out of it, which was probably plenty of leveraging going on there. Uh, and then I think I saw something about Steve Sarkeesian uh, basically confirming his spot at Texas, but they're not positive in that one. Either way, the race to find the next head coach is, is very fascinating, and you got to expect it probably wraps up here by the end of the weekend. If things go well for Alabama, at least that would be the goal or the hope from their side of things. Yeah, I mean, you would think so, uh, but who it ends up being, it feels like it's kind of a t- you know not a clear answer. And uh Mike Norvell not going to take the job uh, you know, at Florida State. It feels like Kellen DeBoer. I know Joel Klatt had come out and said he doesn't think it will get past him. Um, but we'll see. I mean, that seems to be the obvious candidate. But they've, it's, it's gone really – it's rapidly gone through with people kind of either – I don't know if all of them had 
an offer to job necessarily. I do think Dan Landing, it was his job if he wanted it. And I think Steve Sarkeesian was probably his job if he wanted it. Um, but who knows at this point? It feels like people are very much ruling their names out of it. And certainly not an enviable position to follow Nick Saban. But uh, you're definitely in a spot at Alabama right now that you're built to win right away. So it'll all be really interesting. It'll all be really interesting to see what happens you know, it being the transfer portal era, how many guys will leave Alabama, how many of the recruits that they sign. I, think, I believe it was the number one or number two recruiting class in the country. I think number two. I think Ohio State had number one this year. So it'll all be very interesting to see. Yeah, and uh, one other thing I can clarify myself on, going back to basically midnight last night, which in fairness was only about 11 p.m. Texas time, uh, but Steve Sarkeesian did tweet out that he is going to stay a Longhorn. I believe he is finalizing a new deal as well. So certainly the, the biggest programs and the biggest college football head coaches are using this to maybe get a little bit more money, get maybe a, a new deal for themselves. Uh, but obviously this is just causing massive waves, waves in the college football world. Let's bring this back to Tennessee now and combine these two topics. One of the big, uh, one of the big players that Tennessee is after in the in the high school recruiting scene, excuse me, is none other than five-star in-state quarterback George McIntyre, and this is a uh, a six-foot-six quarterback from Nashville's Brentwood Academy in the class of 2025. According to On Three Sports, he's the number 15 player in the nation, the number two quarterback in the class, and the top-ranked player from the state of Tennessee. This is a guy that Tennessee had been targeting for a long time now. We know Josh Heupel's relationship with quarterbacks, wanting to get in great quarterbacks. George McIntyre being just down the road in Nashville is one of those marquee players that you do everything that you can to get. Just about a week or so ago, George McIntyre listed a top three of Tennessee, Alabama, and LSU, though I think a lot of people in the industry felt like it was a race between Tennessee and Alabama. Now, track my timeline here, but going back to Wednesday before Nick Saban's announcement coming out on Wednesday evening, so kind of Wednesday morning leading up to it, George McIntyre was a, an Alabama lean prediction according to On3 Sports' recruiting prediction machine. Then, after the Nick Saban news, the 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 prediction machine just skyrockets in Tennessee's favor, now has Tennessee as the overwhelming favorite for George McIntyre's recruitment at about 90%. Now, I know these numbers don't matter in the end of things, but it tells you sort of where the industry feelings are headed. Then you can add in a little bit of news to, to confirm this, but Steve Wiltfong, the director of football recruiting for 247 Sports, he locked in a crystal ball prediction for George McIntyre to Tennessee at 7.26 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday night. That was just about two hours after Nick Saban's announcement that he was retiring. So I do think that if you're looking at this, uh, this particular prospect from a Tennessee perspective, you're saying, hey, this Nick Saban news might be immediately beneficial for Tennessee. This might be a time where Tennessee is going to try to strike while the iron's hot, maybe strike while there's a little bit of momentary coaching limbo in Tuscaloosa, but it definitely seems like George McIntyre is highly trending towards Tennessee coming out of this Nick Saban news. And I think that was the case even before the Nick Saban news. I, to me, the Nick Saban stuff just puts a bow on it, that it's it's all but over. It, it's, you know, an RPM, it's a, it's a good thing to look at. I don't think it's necessarily all that accurate most right. of the time. And again, I think even before Nick Saban retired, George McIntyre was a Tennessee lean, or a Tennessee lean, but when you talk about the fact that it largely was a two-team recruitment, and Nick Saban, one I think was a a big part, which he probably is for most players, was sure, a big yeah. part of his interest in Alabama and the draw to Alabama was Nick Saban, and now that everything's just at limbo, and, and McIntyre has been a guy that's seemingly been targeting a somewhat early decision in his you know the overall recruitment. I don't know when that'll be, but you know it didn't feel like this was one that was going to go into the summer. Yeah. Um, 
it's just not going to be enough time for whoever gets hired for Alabama to build a relationship and, and get him in the fold. So it feels like it's definitely going to be Tennessee. Um, obviously, with recruiting, you're kind of hesitant to say anything too definitively because things change that's often right, and they yeah. can change really quickly. Yeah. Um, but certainly one that's moving in Tennessee's direction, and you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it more if it does happen, but um, would be a huge, huge win for Tennessee and early in the 2025 recruiting cycle. Yeah, a huge win to say the least. You know, Looking over at 247's all-time rankings, if George McIntyre does commit to Tennessee as the rankings stand right now, he would be Tennessee's 14th highest-ranked commitment in program history, and he would also be the second-highest-ranked quarterback that Tennessee has committed uh, in program history behind only Nico Imaliava. Wow. So he, he is up there with, with some of the most elite recruits that Tennessee has been after. And again, being a guy that's in Tennessee's backyard just a couple hours down the road in Nashville, this is one of the those guys that you, you're primarily looking at or thinking of when, when Tennessee or when you just talk about in, in general locking down the borders of a state, saying, hey, we're, we're going to do everything we can to not let the best players in the state go elsewhere, go to Alabama, go to Mississippi, go to wherever else. We're going to keep them right here in the fold in the state. Uh, and George McIntyre obviously being the number one prospect in the state of Tennessee highly, highly factors into that as well. So we'll see how this unfolds coming up soon. I, I believe that he told on three sports just last week that there was no official decision date selected, but that that sort of announcement would be on its way fairly soon. So Ryan, I, I think you're right. I do think it comes uh, in the fairly near future. Not exactly sure when that'll be, but the Nick Saban announcement and, and just his prior relationship with Tennessee, it feels like you, you had a really good way to put it. Just kind of puts a bow on everything and uh, certainly puts Tennessee in the driver's seat for McIntyre's recruitment. So that's been a big one. Uh, a, a big kind of Tennessee recruiting news story. There was also another Tennessee recruiting news story that, that I'll, I'll, I'll defer to you on, but Tennessee hauled in another player from the transfer portal this week. They did, yes. They go to Temple and land the cornerback Jalen McMurray, who uh, I believe visited Tennessee last weekend, and then he recruits on, or commits to Tennessee on Tuesday afternoon. So uh, a guy uh, at a position of need, you know, it does seem like he's a corner first, but he did start a game at safety this year for Temple due to some injuries, so he slid over. So he has – we know that it's on Willie Martinez, and Tim Banks have talked about a lot. That yeah. They like <laughs> versatility in the defensive back room, and, and he brings them that. He has two years of eligibility remaining. He In 2021, he redshirted. In 2022, he, he started – uh, just about the whole season, I think he earned some freshman All-American honors from some sites. I don't think it was necessarily a unanimous thing. And then last year, he missed one game but started the rest of the way. So he was a solid player. I'm not sure I'd say a great corner by any means and certainly was on a bad Temple team in a mid-level conference in the American Athletic. Uh, but another guy that Tennessee adds, you know, obviously that's been a big talking point all December and into January now. Tennessee's lost all these guys in the portal and uh, in the defensive backfield. And it's not that all of them were necessarily great, and you're just going to lose, you know, losing all those were just awful blows because you know, a lot of those guys didn't play. Yeah. But you needed more bodies and yeah. you needed uh, to build depth there. And I think at the very worst, McMurray is that. And certainly Tennessee hopes that they can develop him. And a guy that has two years of eligibility hopefully can provide some flexibility, play at some different spots uh, and help Tennessee on the field next fall. Or I guess this fall. No, yeah. It's yeah. 2024. We're in 2024, 12 days in. Yeah, I, th I think you're absolutely right there. I think when you look at what Tennessee lost last year, it was time to kind of have a new regime uh, of secondary players, even if it was going to be, even if it will be a little bit of a rough start to that when you when they kick off the season in 2024. But you're right. One of the biggest things that you also needed to, to kind of um, to kind of bring in that era is just bodies and depth. And Jalen McMurray is one of those players. 
Uh, out of the five major players that Tennessee has brought in from the transfer portal this, this offseason so far, three of them are from the secondary, and that's safety Jacoby Thomas from Middle Tennessee. It's cornerback Jermon McCoy from Oregon State, and then obviously Jalen McMurray, who we're talking about right there, from Temple. So uh, certainly transfer portal uh, secondary, that's where Tennessee's been looking. They've gotten three players out of the portal from that spot already, and, and we'll see what happens next. But like you said, certainly a player for Tennessee's depth, and we'll see what happens when uh, when he arrives to Knoxville here coming up sometime this year. Certainly. Uh, question for you, and I'm sure we'll get to a more long-form version of this when everything starts to get settled. But, you know, the five guys Tennessee has landed so far, who is your favorite land Tennessee has gotten in the portal? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I think the first two that, that pop out in my mind, I think Chris Brazell is the easiest answer, yeah. right? Because when you, at least still with me, right? When I think of football, I think of the explosive players. I think of the, the skill players. And I think of what Tennessee's offense is going to want to do next year. And it feels like if he can really kind of understand and master everything throughout the offseason, what the scheme and what the game plan is, I think that he could be a really dynamic player in the offense. Uh, but Jermon McCoy, I, I think that he's a really fun player to watch, especially what his development will look like over Tennessee as well. He, he's yeah. not one of those guys where, you know, you bring him in for one year, you see what he has, and then he's going to be off to the NFL draft like maybe a, a Gabe Ju- Judy Lolly was this yeah. past season. But he's a guy that's going to have development potential at Tennessee. So if you're asking me, those are the two the two names that, that jump out to me. I want to say Holden stays as well because I think that he's a really athletic playmaker that uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they can do. But those are at least the first two jump out to me. And I know that Brazel, uh, Brazel – do we know how to say it I yet? I'm, I, I'm, I don't, God, don't know. God, dog it. Either way, the wide receiver, Chris Brazell, uh, again, uh, he's the flashy one. He's the fun one to say, but I, I think I'll, I'll land on Jermon McCoy just because I'm excited to see what the development over time could look like for him. And just, I mean, what he's going to bring in initially off the bat as well. He turned himself into a three-star high school player to a four-star transfer portal recruit. So what can he do at Tennessee? I think it's going to be good to figure out. But, well, I don't know. What would your answer be? And mine would be Jermon McCoy, what they have right now, just because – a lot of what you said. I mean, as a true freshman to start and play pretty well at Oregon State, tons and tons of teams went after him in the portal um, in a position of need, obviously, for Tennessee. And, and like what you said, the fact that he was just a freshman and he has multiple years uh, of development, I think there's a lot to like there. He, he hits the box of, and Brazil does this to a degree too, uh, of instant impact guy and still a lot of eligibility uh, left, not just a one-year guy. So he would be my pick. And Certainly, I guess the, the one name you look at right now, the biggest name left on Tennessee's transfer portal board, could pass them. Uh, just yeah, that's of their, what I was going to say their, sure, well. their sheer need uh, being LSU uh, offensive tackle Lance Hurd, who visited Tennessee last weekend. And I don't know. Tennessee's in the thick of it with him. We'll see what ends up happening. But certainly uh, after um, Gerald Mincy entered the transfer I was about to call him Gerald McCoy and uh, <laughs> get all the names uh, crossed over. Um, but Gerald Mincy entered the portal Tennessee – in desperate need of an offensive tackle and a, a guy uh, that was a former Lance Hurd, it was a former five-star recruit, and like Jermon uh, McC- McCoy has a lot of eligibility left. He's just played one year, um, and I believe redshirted too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think you're right. I think if Tennessee is able to land Lance Hurd out of the transfer portal, that'll probably jump up to my number one player that that Tennessee has brought in. Let's talk about him for a second. Six foot six, three hundred and forty pound offensive tackle. He was named to the freshman All SEC team this past December. Heard played in twelve games during his okay. freshman season. Certainly at LSU. didn't redshirt. 
Yes, it definitely didn't redshirt. Bad he played, take by me. Played in 12 games during his freshman season at LSU. Did not play in the Tigers, uh, Tigers bowl game on New Year's Day. He entered the transfer portal on January 2nd. Then obviously it looks like he's going to make his decision in around two-ish weeks. We'll, we'll see when this decision actually comes and if it's Tennessee or not. But either way, it's going to be around the two-week mark since entering the portal. Um, like you had mentioned, he, he visited Knoxville last weekend uh, and, and is in the process of coming to his decision. He's from Monroe, Louisiana. He was ranked as the number two overall prospect from the state in the class of 2023 with a five-star ranking from both On3 Sports and 247 Sports. This is a guy that, obviously, when you talk about positions of need, right, you talk about how much Jermon McCoy, especially on a long-term basis, will be able to help out Tennessee's secondary. Tennessee has a need for a tackle right now, and that's one of those guys who could not only step in and, and fill that role, but this is a guy who, who you're not wondering what he'll look like. It, I mean, obviously, there's there's yeah, there's, there's obviously going to be question parody. marks. It, yep. Yes, exactly, and you're not gonna you're not gonna fully have an understanding, but you can at least go into it and say, hey. We're going to work out this guy. We're going to see what he looks like, knowing that he's already got a full season of SEC experience under him. And obviously, LSU played in some big-time games this year. you know. So he, he's gone up against great competition uh, as well. We'll see what it looks like, and we'll see what this decision comes down to. But I, I'd say that's definitely one of the names that you should be monitoring, and we'll have all the information over on Rocky Top Insider as it comes out. 100%. And you know, one of the things that we've, at least myself, has criticized with Tennessee's offensive line recruiting struggles and just – their inability to develop guys. They haven't really had anybody that they've recruited and developed and they've become a starter for them on the offensive line. And at least this coaching staff. They've had a lot of guys they've inherited that have done that yeah. and they've done well. Is you know, you just keep getting these guys in the transfer portal. It's just it's a band-aid. You're like, this is a band-aid fix. Right. Lance Hurd and having has to having three years of eligibility left, having to play two more years before he will be uh, eligible for the NFL. That's not a band aid, you know. That's a guy that you can develop and build on and improve. And obviously, it's not as ideal as landing someone like that out of high school, you know, a five star and having him in your program for from the get go of his college career and getting the terminology down and getting used to the offense and all the conditioning that comes with that when you're talking about a Tennessee offense that runs up, up tempo, but it would just be a massive get. And Oklahoma is another school that he has visited. Ole Miss is one there's been some buzz with, as there is for about anybody in the transfer portal <laughs> yeah. of any highly talented. Yeah, it feels like Ole Miss has some buzz around them. So we'll see what ends up happening with that one, but uh, one that Tennessee's right in the thick of and would just be a monster, monster commitment for the Bulls. Yeah, and again, he, he's the highest-ranked player – or excuse me, highest-ranked available offensive tackle according to 247 Sports' transfer portal rankings, and he does rank higher than, than Gerald Mincy does in the same rankings as well. So maybe you're getting a little bit of an upgrade there, but I think more importantly than, than talking about whether it's an upgrade or not, it is what, Ryan, you had mentioned a second ago and just saying that he's got more years left to play, and I think that's one of the things that you look at, especially breaking in a – I'm not going to say first-year quarterback because he's not, but first-year starting quarterback for a full season. Tennessee knows what the next couple of years are going to look like with their quarterback situation, and now it's about really padding that offensive line, getting them guys that can be reliable, that can you know, hopefully even be a multi-year guy. Tennessee's going to have a lot of offensive line turnover uh, coming up after this 2024 yeah. season. So again, just having a guy like Lance Hurd for that aspect as well, being one of those guys who is going to stay, I, I guess you would – you would generalize or you would think you would stay over the offseason but either way uh, a big name to be looking at over the next few days as we anticipate or at least await a decision coming soon from LSU transfer portal offensive tackle Lance Hurd yeah 100% and it's just when you look at there's not a ton of offensive tackles left out there in the portal it would be a huge one and I do think it'd be a big upgrade over Gerald Mincy I mean just from 
physical talent standpoint from having more years of eligibility. Obviously, Mincy was a headache off the field in a lot of different ways, wasn't always out there playing, and some of that's injury, and you know, you can't, can't always control that as a player. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it, w- it would be, to me, Tennessee's biggest win in the transfer portal. And again, I like Jermon McCoy a lot. I like Brazil. Holden stays with a good get a, t- a kid they beat at a position of need that they beat out some really good teams for. But to me, it's, it's clear, clear number one, Lance Hurd would be. Uh, you want to switch to some basketball? Let's do it. Wait, one last football note. Uh, now that I'm pulling it up on ESPN, and we actually wrote about it on RocketUpInsider.com as well. Uh, but just congratulations to, to Drew Mayo, uh, a, yes. a guy who's going to be taking over and replacing Bill Belichick with the Patriots offense. It seems like there's just been widespread praise uh, from, from people in the NFL community, especially from players and coaches who have been with Mayo in the past, uh, who have just said, hey, this is the guy. You know, I was reading some articles earlier about people with, with background information on the Patriots organization in the last 10 years, and, and they said even when, when Mayo was a player in New England, the players would call him Bill Jr., because everything he did almost just felt like it was something that Bill Belichick was doing himself, just in a different room in the facility. So they called him Bill Jr. He's going to be taking over for Bill Belichick. Uh, but it certainly got a lot of the Tennessee fan base excited. And I've seen a lot of tweets today that have been like, I'm doing a full 180 on the New England Patriots. I'm now a fan. I'm <laughs> yeah. now a believer. I'm now for them. It was obviously a big rivalry. You had a lot of Peyton people here uh, when that was going on. And, you know, New England at times was just a heel team. But uh, I've seen a lot of people make the switch. Certainly. And, you know, Tron Mayo has interviewed for a number of other jobs in the past couple of years. So good to see him get one and good to see him get one and probably the place he would like to be more than anywhere else. And Football is such a, especially coaching football, is such a turnover business, and, and really playing it is too. So it's it's really, really cool to see a guy like Gerard Mayo play for one team his entire career, yeah. get into coaching with that one team, and now reach the pinnacle of his coaching career, or at least to this point, the pinnacle of his coaching career, getting a head coaching job at the same team, the same franchise he has spent the entirety of his career with. Yeah, no doubt about it. Okay, let's, uh, how about we move into some basketballs we, uh, as we wrap up this podcast here in the next 10, 20 minutes or so. Tennessee right now 11-4 and four in the season, number five in the conference, although that probably is going to drop a little bit after the midweek loss to Mississippi State. Let's just start with that game real quick. Just your initial thoughts on Tennessee's 77-72 to loss. This was a game where Tennessee really struggled offensively in the first half of play. They found their rhythm in the second half, but Mississippi State was just able to outlast them in the last four minutes or so. Initial thoughts on that before we go to kind of the broad picture. Yeah, well, let's start with the bad, I guess, and the, the why Tennessee lost reasons. And, I mean, it's three pretty simple ones. You hit nail on the head there. I mean, just a terrible first half. And, once again, Tennessee digs themselves a really big hole on the road in the first half. They trailed by as much as 15 and 13 points at halftime. You said it. The offense was a story. Scored 22 points, turned the ball over 10 times in the first half. It's a team that averages just 10.6 turnovers a game. Going to be hard to go on the road and beat a good team, and especially a good defensive team like Mississippi State is, when you dig yourself that big of a hole. And then secondly, Tolu Smith just uh, gave gave them the business, for for lack of a better word. I mean, Tennessee had no answers for him. And look, Tolu Smith's one of the best players in the SEC. You're starting to see... A trend now of Tennessee's four losses this year are two teams that have had elite big men. And, you know, I think you kind of – Zach Eady and Hunter Dickinson are so good that there was no surprise of what those two dudes did. Those are probably the two best big men in the country. And, you know, I think they scored 24, 22 points, something like that in those two games. So yeah. it wasn't anything crazy. And, you know, Armando Baycott, I think, scored 19 or 20. And Tennessee had bigger issues in that game, again, with another bad first half that you don't necessarily highlight it. And now to see it again, and, and you know, Tolu Smith probably, him and John A. Broom are the two best big men in the SEC. Two, you know, he's, again, one of the best big men in the country. So it's not like these are just average big men that are dominating Tennessee down low. But he, 
Goes for 23 points. Incredibly efficient. 7 and 10 at the field. 9 and 12 at the free throw line. He fouls out both uh, Jonas Adu and Tobey Awaka. And, you know, Tennessee climbs all the way back into the game. And they, they tied it at one point, and then they tie it again. You know, it kind of looked like it got away from them again. It was about two minutes left. They were down by six. Quick 6-0 spurt to tie the game again. And, you know, 30 seconds left. Tennessee needs one stop. Shot clock's still on. You get one shot and stop, and then a shot to win the game. And once again, Tolu Smith and one three-point play. And huge. Huge play. Put the game away. So that becomes a reoccurring issue for Tennessee and a big problem long-term. And then, I guess, lastly, you talk about this game. Uh, Josiah Jordan-James and Santiago Vescovi, they combined for five points on 2 of 12 shooting from the field. Just going to be hard for Tennessee to win on the road when you're two kind of super senior veterans, been in the SEC, they've done this thing for a long time, combined for five points. So those are three. I mean, honestly, you you say those three things, it's pretty incredible that Tennessee had a chance to win uh, yeah. uh, at the end uh, against a, a good Mississippi State team on the road. Um it's going to be hard to win on the road when you do two of those things, let alone three. Um, so that, those are the reasons why Tennessee lost, and I think all pretty obvious ones. Yeah, and again, you see the five-point loss that Tennessee had. Even two of those points came at the very end on a breakaway open yeah, court. Dunk, really right? a three-point so game. It, it was amazing that it was a three-point game. And sort of on that point, here's a question I have for you. Just sort of looking back at Tennessee's season so far, I want to take two losses in particular, both of Tennessee's true road losses. Tennessee was down 22 points at halftime against North Carolina in Chapel Hill. They scored 22 points in total in the first half against Mississippi State, drew themselves a big deficit. But at the end of the day, Tennessee only loses by three points to Mississippi State, three to five, if you will. Again, that breakaway dunk at the end, and then lost by eight points at, at North Carolina. I can't really remember how that last 60 seconds or so went against the Tar Heels. But you take both of those huge halftime deficits, those really bad first half performances, Tennessee turns those into really impressive second half performances, close but no cigar sort of endings to these games. Just how do you sort of work that out in your mind? I mean, what is, you know, is there something there to that statement or is that just sort of a, hey, here's how these games ended it more and more so points to Tennessee's first half struggles. Just do you read anything into those two losses being in a little bit of a similar way almost? I mean, I, you, obviously you draw the comparison because of how similar they were in those two things that you said. You know, I don't necessarily think, you cir- at least I circle it as just like massive, wow, reoccurring, reoccurring theme, reoccurring issue. They went and they won at Wisconsin. And the intermission set games and exhibition games, so that is a little different. And that was the opposite. I mean, Tennessee got off to a 20-2 to yeah, lead or yeah, something like huge. that in that game and then held on for dear life in the second half and, and got the win. So... You, you do it twice, and those halves were so bad, you know, both times that I don't think you just point it out as something you forget about. I'm not necessarily sure I've seen enough to say that it's a reoccurring theme or a reoccurring, like, wow, this is a massive, massive issue. Now, if it happens again at Georgia tomorrow, then, yeah, you probably do say this is a big problem. But uh, certainly you look at those things, but – I think I just go back to, and, and it's just hard to win on the road in, in college it basketball. Is. And you're talking about this weekend, just specifically this week, Kansas loses at a not very good UCF team, probably maybe the worst team in the Big 12. And Houston loses at Iowa State in a game that I think was very similar to Tennessee-Mississippi State, too. where Iowa State's not in the top 25, but they are very much a fringe top 25 team. Good, or a good team. And there was another one, too. Uh, Barquette loses at Butler and are not in the top five. And I think one of those other top top five teams lost a game on the road earlier this week too. Maybe I'm forgetting about it. But there's been a lot of good teams, top ten quality teams that have lost on the road. And it's just hard to win in college basketball on the road. 
Um, so I don't think anything this is shocking from those two losses. Certainly North Carolina has just looks better and better as we've gotten further yeah. away from that game. Um, and I think Mississippi State's a team that's a no-doubt NCAA tournament team. I think their team is going to win a lot of games in conference play. But it's just tough when you play well in the second half and you really get phenomenal performances from Dalton Connect in both those games and you aren't able to capitalize with wins. You know, there was obviously a lot of overreaction going on uh, on social media after the loss on Wednesday night with some also with other people trying to kind of butt in, you know, hey, one loss in SEC plays a lot different from the football season, what everyone's been used to over the last couple months, so on and so forth. A lot of the typical jargon that you typically hear in the month of February when it comes to college basketball. But what would sort of be your overall global perspective of this team right now? Again, one-on-one in SEC play, lost to a tough Mississippi State team on the road on Wednesday night, found some areas that, that they can be better in. So what is your sort of glow? Tennessee's ranked in the top five. Where do you stand? Are, are, they, are they certainly a top five, a top ten team? Where are the struggles? Where are the strengths? Just sort of what's your global perspective on the team right now? I think they're certainly a top ten team. You know, I don't know about top five, probably a fringe top five team, I would say. And, you know, it's... No, I don't think a ton has changed from, you know, the last time we talked about it. I think this is a Tennessee team that has a lot of probably six guys that are really good players, and five of those guys can carry you almost offensively on any given night. Can you? Is there any one of those players that you just know from a consistency standpoint is going to be there every single night? I'm not really sure that there is, and I, that's a problem. Uh, but, again, that's not – that's not like a super rare that's college basketball man there's 95 percent of players in college basketball aren't aren't super consistent and you know you're going to get big time performances from every single night so uh i look at it that way i think tennessee is still think tennessee is better offensively than they've been in the last few years i mean heck they we just talked about it they played a, just a, a abysmal abysmal offensive first half in north or mississippi state the other night they scored 72 points against a team that's yeah, they put up 50 second a, half points a top 10 team defensively in ken palm and they did it on the road so there's a lot to like on that end you know i do worry about the post defense um i worry about to some degree not necessarily worry about but you know i think the lack of depth at the point guard spot guys behind Zakai Ziegler you know they're asking Zakai Ziegler to play a lot of minutes and Rick Barnes said this today and I feel that you know I think this is exactly how I feel about it if anyone's able to do it it is Zakai Ziegler if anybody's able to play 35 minutes throughout an SDC season it's him but I'm not necessarily sure you that's not ideal you wouldn't yeah. love for that to be the case so um that's kind of the things I see certainly there's a lot to be encouraged with as a guy Ziegler. I think he's playing as of late. Again, consistency, sustaining it through the course of the season is the question. But uh, in the last, I don't know, five, six games, he's playing as well as any point guard in the country. I thought what Dalton Connect did in the second half against Mississippi State was really encouraging because if anyone's going to be a guy on this team that can consistently give you 15 every night, I think it's him from just the the different things he has in his offensive repertoire. Um, And and obviously he'd struggled a little bit or just had been a lot more quiet on the offensive end. So for him to explode for 26 points in the second half was a good sign. Um, But again, we'll see, you know, if he can carry that over and build off of that performance and not go back into kind of a shell, which he was to a degree in the games leading up to that one. Yeah. And more on Zakai Ziegler, some of the stuff that you were talking about right there in his last five games, he's been excellent in his last five, but in those last five, He's only been below 37 out of 40 minutes two times, one of those being 36 and the other one being 27. So he's he's playing nearly 40 minutes every single game, just a little bit behind that. If you gave him five more assists over the last five games in certain spots, he would have three triple doubles in the last uh, five games. So he only has one, but he was very, very close uh, against... 
who is this, against Mississippi State and uh, North Carolina State back in December. He, he has... He has scored more than 13 points in all five of these games. Really, 17 is sort of the minimum. Two 17s, a 26, and a 20. He has just been terrific. And then again, maybe most importantly, is he's distributing the ball to other Tennessee players. He's got nearly seven assists over those last five games on average. Just sort of being a, a, a guy that can do so much for Tennessee. He has been so impressive in his role. But like you're talking about, Ryan, it's interesting to see how you sort of balance that, right? A, a guy who you don't really talk about anymore, you don't really think about it anymore because you see him do so much of what he was used to back uh, before his injury. But it's still a guy who, who tore his ACL just, you know, nine, ten months ago, whatever it was. So I think you're looking back at that and you're saying, all right, how can we sort of balance this out? Still needing to get him on the court, though, because he is Tennessee's best player. Uh, especially right now and what he's been able to do lately. But I think you find a lot of encouragement in that. And then again, encouragement that Dalton Connect was able to really kind of explode there in the second half. I think he scored 26 points in the second half after yep. only just two in the first half. He really found his stroke again. But, you know, like you were alluding to at the very beginning, Tennessee can have two guys combined for 50 points, and that's fantastic. But if you don't have anything around that, that turns into a problem. When 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 you have two veterans like like Santiago Vescovi and Josiah Jordan James only combining for five, it, it almost sort of negates that 50-point game from the other two guys combined. So I, I think for Tennessee, what I see at least is they got guys who can pop off on you know sort of an any given game basis, but they also need the reliable guys to be reliable. They need their consistent guys to be consistent. So that way, when these things do come together, when you do have a, a Dalton Connector or a, or a Zakai Ziegler pop off for 26, 28 points, whatever, you still have the rest of the guys giving their normal output, and that puts you above the 77-point mark in this case, or at least just uh, more than what the opposition has as well. So that's sort of one thing that I've seen is, yeah, Tennessee's got a couple guys who can pop off, but they still need some more consistency from those other guys to be able to capitalize on that big game, big scoring game, big scoring output, whatever it is you, it may be. Yeah, it's not even necessarily they have to go for, you know, their averages in those games. You just need them to, sure. to, not, to not be nothing burgers. Yeah. <laughs> you need, in that game, Josiah to go for five points and Santi to go for eight points. Yes. And to hit, you know, Santi had a couple open looks uh, when Tennessee had put the press on and, and really, you know, how they kind of got back in that Mississippi State game where, you know, I think one of them was to tie the game and another was maybe he didn't take the lead. And it just felt like if Tennessee could have ever gotten over that hump, and tied the game with 10 minutes left, they might have, you know, ran away with it, but been able to take control, whereas opposed to they, ne they never really took the lead, and it felt like every time that they had tied, the couple times they tied the game, Mississippi State immediately scored. You know, they just were never able to completely get over to hump, pun intended, Humphrey Coliseum. Ha, there you ha, go. Ha. Well done. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, that's, that's the story of it, and you just need the bad performances or the performances when they're not at their best to be a little bit better, I think, to me, is what you, what you circle uh, when you're talking about that. Uh, because, you know, you don't need those guys to take a ton of shots when sure. Zakai Ziegler and Dalton Connect are, are scoring like that. And, you know, I will say, we talked about Dalton Connect having such a big second half. Zakai Ziegler was the only guy that start, showed up, you know, from the jump. He was really good in the first half in that game. And, uh, you know, as you kind of outlined a minute ago, he's playing at an extremely high level right now. And... It, We'll see again. You got to see if he can sustain it over the course of a season, but not. You know, we've talked so much of it. Is he back? Is he back to what he was? He's the last little bit. He's been better than he ever has been in his college career. Yeah. Okay. Last kind of thing on the docket to get to, and then we'll wrap this thing up. Tennessee, Georgia, coming up noon tomorrow, which is going to be Saturday uh, from Athens. Tennessee goes back on the road. They're in Knoxville right now, but it's going to be a travel day as soon as practice ends. What do you think about this game coming up? 
It's an opportunity for Tennessee to wipe away their last loss on the road, but it's also a Georgia team that just got done beating Arkansas. Arkansas has been an extremely disappointing team, especially in the SEC this year, but it's still a good win nonetheless. What do you think about this game and, and sort of how are you projecting things to go? Well, it's a Georgia team riding a 10-game winning streak, the fourth longest in college basketball. Now, granted, uh, the best win in the first eight of those wins before SEC play with Florida State, their first two wins in SEC play are Missouri and Arkansas. But again, you know, Georgia going on the road to beat Missouri, that wasn't a game that they were favored in. So I don't think this is a great Georgia team. I think this is a team that Georgia, at their best, they might get, on the bu- get onto the bubble. I don't think they're an NCAA tournament team. So, you know, I think Tennessee should handle it. But going on the road, it's not going to be easy. And this is certainly a Georgia team that's going to be playing with a lot of confidence. They've played well as of late. And just what I said, playing on the road in SEC is really hard. And certainly Stegman Coliseum is a place that Tennessee has struggled out a lot over the years. Never it seems like they never play well there, even when they do win. And then Georgia, it's a team with a lot of new faces. They have a lot of transfers. And it's pretty balanced scoring-wise. Two names that Tennessee fans might know, both of them true freshmen, Blue Kane, who was a Knoxville native, went to Knoxville Catholic, I think eventually transferred to IMG for his senior season. Uh, he was originally con- committed and I think signed to go to Georgia Tech. And then when uh, Josh Pastner got fired there, he ends up at Georgia. He's playing 18 minutes a game, averaging seven points. Um, not one of their best players, but again, this is a pretty balanced offensive team and he uh, gets a lot of shots. And then a name probably Tennessee fans are a little less familiar with is uh, Silas DeMary Jr., who was a guy Tennessee recruited a couple times. He was originally going to USC. Yeah. When Bronny James committed to USC, he decommitted, and Tennessee was kind of flirting with him. They ended up landing some other guys, and uh, it was never like a massive, massive prospect. Sure. But as a true freshman, uh, another guy playing pretty well, playing 26 minutes a game, averaging 8.64 points, 4.7 rebounds, and doing it on 42% shooting from the field. So it's a balanced team, uh, just two guys averaging over 10 points a game. They're average, Noah Thomason averaging 12.7, and Jabri Abdur Rahim is averaging 12.3. And really, you talk about a team that has six different players averaging, really five different players averaging between 8.6 and 12.7 points, so within four points of each other. So kind of like Tennessee in the sense that they're balanced. I don't think they have as many weapons as Tennessee does. Um, but, you know, a game I think Tennessee will win. Tennessee needs to win, especially if they want to win the SEC um, and, and kind of just say get, you know, Mississippi State game is one, you know, one yeah. not great game against a good team on the road. Um, going into a homestand that's going to last a couple games, I think this was a, a big one Tennessee, one Tennessee needs to get, and I think they will get. That is very well put, and that'll wrap us up today, Ryan. I think we did about 20 minutes of football, about 20 minutes of basketball. A nice balanced show for us right here as we are still kicking off the new year in 2024. As always, you can follow our live coverage of the basketball game tomorrow, number five, Tennessee at Georgia, coming up from Athens. You can follow us all on Rocket Top Band Center, but you can also follow Ryan on Twitter at rshump00, S-C-H-U-M-P. You can follow myself, that'll be at Rick Butler, at R-I-C underscore Butler. But of course, make sure you're checking out RockyTopInsider.com each and every day. Make sure you're also following the Rocky Top Insider social media accounts on all platforms. We are at Rocky Top Insider on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. I think I didn't say that one. I think that's all five. But either way, you already know where it is. You already know where we are, and you can find us wherever those places are as well. But again, we'll be in Athens for the game tomorrow, so make sure to keep along with the coverage. We will have you updated on everything as we go. But otherwise, we'll be back next week to talk a little bit more basketball, maybe some other football news that's going on. But until then, stay safe and be good. For Ryan Shumpert, I'm Rick Butler. You've been listening to the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass Podcast.